Uh, we are going to continue in our series this morning through the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 30. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago. We have some Bibles in the back, so if you want to grab one when you come in, if you don't have one, or if you have a Bible app you want to turn to. Uh, but we just want everyone to, to be able to have access to uh, the Scriptures, because we know that in reading it, uh, God speaks through it. And if you were here last week, just to give you a bit of context for where we're going to start this morning, uh, Matt Deason taught on the previous couple verses where the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, they have uh, accused Jesus of being in league with Satan. So in, a, in the midst of a world where good versus evil, God versus darkness, you have uh, a worldview where, where the physical and spiritual aren't divided, but very cohesive. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, hey, we see you doing these things and you're doing it by the power of Satan. And Jesus points out that their accusation is actually really foolish. And then he says in verse 28, if it's by the Spirit of God that I do these things, then the kingdom of God has come among you. And then he goes on to talk about tying up the strong man and, and plundering the strong man's house. So if you, have, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that teaching, I would recommend go back and listen to the podcast. It's pretty crucial context to understand what, what's going on here because it's, it's one cohesive conversation. Uh, but hopefully that's helpful just as a bit of background before we read in Matthew 12, verse 30 this morning. Jesus continues, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, neither in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, verse 36, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. God, as we come to you this morning and we read this text, I am reminded of uh, all, all of the really weighty words here. Things and words that we've probably heard before and, and have all sorts of connotations in our mind. But I pray as we open up your scriptures this morning, God, that you would speak directly to us, that we would be able to hear from you, from your spirit, that you would silence all the other voices in our head that aren't from you. And you would help us see clearly what Jesus is saying, not only to the Pharisees, but also to us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So, uh, condemnation, judgment, the unforgivable sin, everyone has been waiting for this text, I imagine. Uh, again, if you were here with us last week, what is going on in context of this verse, or these verses, is that Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, who are, they're the religious leaders of the day. And oftentimes what we do when we 
we read about the Pharisees, we automatically think of them as the bad guys because Jesus points out their hypocrisy and they, they actually become like the standard bad guy in the story. But what we have to remember is that on the day that Jesus said this to the Pharisees, that on the day that Jesus is having this interaction, the Pharisees are seen as actually the righteous ones. They're actually seen as the good guys by the culture around them. They're seen as the ones who are in God's favor. And these leaders confront Jesus, they accuse him of something, and then he comes back at them and says in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus points out that that in this conversation, there's no neutral sideline. In their accusation against Jesus, the Pharisees have revealed which jersey they are wearing, which team they're on. And then this launches Jesus into what we just read, which is a statement about forgiveness and judgment. So that, that's crucial background to what we're going to read through here. Now, like I said, my default mode as a Christian living in 2018, is to say, wow, thank Jesus, I don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. But what I want us to do this morning is realize that Jesus is critiquing the the insiders. Jesus is speaking against the righteous religious folks of the day. And and rather than just blow off Jesus' words as if they don't apply to us, what I think we should do is, is read them as something that is actually maybe speaking to us and is challenging us. Reality is that Jesus, in his words, is speaking to me as a religious leader in 2018. Jesus is warning me. Jesus is warning you. Jesus is teaching me. Jesus is teaching you about the way his kingdom works. So let's pick up again in verse 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Then Jesus uses an analogy. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And then this challenge. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now is anyone uncomfortable yet? reading these words. I have spent the last two weeks really studying this passage heavily, um, but I can remember back to being in seminary and and trying to work through these words and really what do they mean? What is this whole deal with the blasphemy of the Spirit? What is that? And why is that not forgivable, but, but words against the Son of Man are forgivable? Why does that make sense? How does that make sense at all? Have I blasphemed the Spirit? What, what even is that? It seems kind of weird, right? Well, I want to come back to that part of the passage because I think in the context of everything else that is going on here in this story, it it helps us understand what Jesus is getting at. But I think Jesus' analogy in the second half, starting in verse 33, is really helpful for us. 
Jesus, in effect, says there's two types of people because people are like trees. Okay, Jesus. One type of tree, the good type of tree, well, it inherently produces good fruit. But, but there's a second type of tree, a bad type of tree. Well, that naturally produces bad fruit. You know a tree by the fruit that it produces. Uh, an olive tree doesn't produce grapes. An apple tree doesn't produce pears. An avocado tree doesn't produce onions. What comes out of a person, it's a result of what's in a person. That's what Jesus is saying. You, Jesus says to the Pharisees, my friends who have just accused me after healing a man, after walking through a grain field, you desire to trap me in arguments and you desire to kill me. That is overflowing from what is deep inside you. And you know what? It's not good stuff coming out. See, the Pharisees have accused Jesus of working with Satan. And then Jesus turns around and he, he pronounces judgment over the Pharisees. You say, I'm in league with Satan for healing a man on the Sabbath, for casting out demons and for setting people free. Your words, Jesus says, in opposition to God's work, they reveal something about you. You're, you're standing in opposition to what I'm doing. You don't want to see people healed. And you have it so backwards that you think the, the good stuff is happening as people are being set free and healed. You think that's actually the power of Satan at work. And you know what? On the day of judgment, you will stand before God and you will give an account for every single empty word you have spoken. That's what Jesus says. You want this poor man to stay in bondage to the enemy. How dare you? You value your rules about the Sabbath more than the wellness of this man. How dare you? You value your own power and privilege over everything else. And you will answer for that to God one day. Everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus, in his response to the Pharisees, he, he reminds them that one day they will stand before God Almighty and give account for their lives. By your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned, he says. Now on the service, it seems like Jesus is talking about words. He's really concerned about words. You'll answer for the empty words you have spoken. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Speaking a word against the Son of Man, but speaking blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It seems to be on the surface all about words. But as we look at and we think about and we meditate on what Jesus has said, what, what we realize is that words are just a symptom. It, think for a moment about careless words. The, the stuff that, that we say when we're not really thinking. For the most part, you and I are really good at filtering out stuff that comes into our heads. Uh, we're taught from a very young age that you can't just say whatever comes to mind. Matthew, you can't say that. Matthew, that's rude. Matthew, that's inappropriate. You're, you're taught that from a very young age. That stuff that pops up, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to come out. And, and we, for the most part, have really, really good filters. But, but there are moments in our lives when those filters loosen. 
They're, they're the words that are mumbled in your car under your breath when you're alone. They're, they're the words that come out when you're hungry and tired. They're, they're the words that come out of your mouth when you're trying to prove a point in an argument and you've just gotten so frustrated and you stop filtering. And those words reveal something about our innermost being. They reveal something about what we think. They reveal something about how we feel. They reveal something about our disposition towards something when those filters come down. And and so Jesus tells the Pharisees, and Jesus tells us, your words will one day be laid out before God. And not so much for the words themselves, but for what they reveal about you. Like, like a fruit points out what kind of tree, so your words give an indication as to what you are like. And so if you're a Pharisee, listening to Jesus' words, you really have one of two options in response. You can either say, this guy is off his rocker. We're going to try and catch him, and we're trying to get rid of him, because he's just crazy. Or, you respond to Jesus' challenge, and, and your jaw just drops. And you go, wow, he's, he's right. One day I will stand before God. The inconsequential, the day-to-day, the, oh, just this one time, or, oh, it wasn't really that big of a deal. The totality of those moments, your whole life, my whole life, will one day be laid out open before God. Now, it's at this moment in time that some of us, based on how we were raised or what we've been taught, we think, uh, Matt, I'm a Christian. I don't have to be judged because I'm forgiven by Jesus. Amen. Thank God that you're forgiven by Jesus. That is absolutely true. And we'll come back to that in a moment when we get back to the whole blasphemy of the Spirit and forgivable sins and all that stuff. But really, do you get to skip the whole stand before God thing? One passage I'd like to point out. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul uses very inclusive language, talking about himself and writing to a church. And here's these other passages you can look up as well. The, the reality is, I'll turn this on myself for a moment, the reality is one day each and every one of us will stand before God. But we actually get the idea in Scripture that someone like me, who teaches the Bible, I will actually face a stricter and harsher punishment or judgment. Maybe not punishment, judgment. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know if that was a... Freudian slip or what that was. James 3.1 Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now hopefully, we, we realize a healthy biblical dose of personal responsibility. What you do matters. How you use your gifts, it matters. What you say, it matters. 
What you think about, it matters. How you treat others, it matters. How you engage with or ignore the issues that Jesus cares about, it matters. What you teach and show others about Jesus, that matters. And one day, you will answer to God for it. The reality of that, of that moment, should in a healthy biblical way, for those of us who know and follow Jesus, it should not induce panic, it should not induce terror, it should not induce stress, but sobriety. It means that we take this life seriously. It means that we take the call of Jesus seriously. And why does this reality not induce panic or terror or stress? Well, it's, in short, it's because we actually already know the verdict of our final judgment. We, we've used this word in the past. We don't use it very often, but the theological word is eschatological. And it means having to do with the end of the age. So if we were to talk about the end of the age judgment, we'd be talking about eschatological judgment. This judgment I've been referencing the reality is one day every single human being will stand before God and face eschatological judgment. There isn't a way around it. There isn't a way to avoid it. It's not like you can just believe it's not going to happen and you, you get a free pass out of it. It will happen to you. Now, the thankfulness that we express to God week in and week out and hopefully day in and day out is thankfulness for what I am about to say and much more. But it includes what I'm about to say. If you are in Christ and you know and follow Jesus, if you repent and believe, then you actually already know the verdict of that eschatological judgment. There's no stress, no anxiety, no terror, because you actually know the verdict before you get to the courtroom. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his burial and resurrection and ascension, you actually already know that you're justified. Romans 4.25 says, He, that's Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, which is a legal term. This and countless other places in the New Testament tell us and teach us that we actually can know the verdict ahead of time. You know the verdict in advance. That's why there's no terror or anxiety or stress with it. You know the verdict before you get to the courtroom. You don't actually have to fear the moment when you stand before God because you know the verdict in advance. And praise God, that's amazing news. And if it weren't for Jesus, we know what the verdict would actually be. But because of Jesus, we're offered justification. So I know the final verdict before I go into the courtroom but there's still the moments in the courtroom. We will all face judgment. And those who have rejected Jesus will be rejected by God. And those who have accepted Jesus will be saved. But salvation into the kingdom and status in the kingdom are different. We will still have to answer for what we've done. Jesus, throughout the Gospels and what we've taught through in the Gospel of Matthew and will continue to teach on, he often talks about Greatness in the kingdom and least in the kingdom. And it's okay for us to talk about it too. 
Let's go back to the first couple of verses. Because I think those help us understand what to expect individually in, in expecting that moment. Verse 31 of Matthew 12. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Let's stop there. Wait for a moment. Every type of sin can be forgiven. Wait, Jesus, you're willing to forgive adultery? Jesus, you're, you're willing to forgive stealing? Jesus, you're, you're willing to forgive murder? Jesus, you're willing to forgive pride? Jesus, you're willing to forgive my habitual lying? Jesus, you're willing to forgive apathy and laziness over decades? Jesus, you're willing to forgive my porn addiction? Jesus, you'll forgive, you fill in the blank. Jesus says, every sin. And at this point, also remember that Jesus is willing to forgive that fill-in-the-blank sin that you've always thought of as unforgivable. A quick internet search on the phrase unforgivable sin yields some really interesting statements. Because in many people's minds, there's a ton of unforgivable sins. Maybe not for God, but definitely for us. And so we will not forgive X, Y, Z. And some of us will even arrogantly, forgetting what Jesus has forgiven us of, will then assume that God is unwilling to forgive whatever that fill-in-the-blank sin is. Because we don't like it. The, the internet search actually yielded results of all kinds of specific things that people don't like. Because we, what I've found, is, is we often like to include things in that unforgivable list. But what does Jesus say in verse 31? And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Let's keep reading. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, so what's going on here? Remember what Jesus' point is as he starts out. Every sin is forgivable. Then he goes on. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? Why is, this, why are word, why is a word against the Son of Man forgivable, but not words against the Spirit? What's going on there? Is it like, and I, Jenna stubbed her toe going up the stairs yesterday. I was like, oh, that's a perfect example. So is it like if I, if I, in walking up the stairs in my house and I stub my toe and I go, oh, Jesus Christ. God will forgive that sin. But if one day I decide to like go up the stairs and I stub my toe, go, oh, Holy Spirit. God will be like, you know what? That's it. Can't handle that guy anymore. It's just one step too far. Well, that doesn't seem to really line up with what we know about the character of God, Right? And so over the last two weeks, uh, the, the elders and I have been, have been kind of talking about going back and forth, reading stuff, trying to figure out what, what is the best way to describe and define this. And so I texted people in my missional community, hey, what do you think this is? How, how have you been taught this in the past? So pulling a bunch of stuff and a bunch of resources together, here's the best definition uh, coming from people who are way smarter than us. This is what we came up with. The unforgivable sin is refusing the calling 
of the Spirit. And I'll explain this. Anyone who feels the pull of the Spirit and remains refusing it, they, they remain in unforgiveness. However, if they respond, then every sin, no matter how awful, is forgivable. That, that's actually Jesus' main point. Every sin can be forgiven. But if you refuse the way of forgiveness, which is response to the Spirit in repentance, there is no possibility of being forgiven. So in context, for the Pharisees, to see the work of the Spirit so clearly at work in and through Jesus, where he's healing people, he's casting out demons, and in his teaching, they see God at work in and through Jesus, and they go, that's evil. That's satanic. They've revealed that they are refusing or slandering or blaspheming the Spirit of God at work. When they call good evil or they call evil good, they've revealed just how far off they are. Or to use the words of Jesus from this passage, they reveal that they're not gathering with Jesus, they're scattering. That, That they are not with Jesus, that they are against him. So, Why is speaking against the Son of Man, Jesus, forgivable? Well, what scholars say is Jesus is pointing out, hey, you can accuse me, you can speak against me, but in the end, if you reject what God is doing in and through me, well, then that cuts you off from the forgiving work of God in and through me. So in essence, you can be like the Apostle Paul. What happens to Paul? Well, His name is Saul at the time. And in response to the movement that Jesus starts, the way of people who are following after Jesus, this guy Paul, who is a very zealous religious leader in Israel, he starts to put Christians to death and he starts to track them down to bring them back into obedience to the Pharisees. And a day comes when he's on his road to Damascus, which is a city. And on the road to Damascus, as he's going to catch more Christians, more followers of the way of Jesus, as he's going to catch them, Jesus appears to him. And what I can only assume is up until that moment, Paul has spoken all sorts of words against Jesus, against the Son of Man. But in that moment, on the road, Jesus reveals himself. In Acts 9, 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, it's revealed to Paul that the people that he's persecuting are actually the body of Jesus and that Jesus is the all-powerful God in the flesh. And the Spirit reveals to Paul, calls Paul, and ultimately, Paul responds to the calling of the Spirit in and through Jesus. Even though to start out with, he is undoubtedly saying all sorts of things against Jesus. That, that example seems to be a really clear example of this principle that Jesus is talking about at work. So to summarize, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and and what we see throughout the New Testament, rejecting the work of God in and through Jesus, it cuts you off from the forgiving work of God in and through Jesus. To speak blasphemy against the Spirit is to reject the work of God in and through Jesus. But if you respond, then every sin, every sin is forgivable. Even these words, 
which have revealed your deep down nature, those words, and even everything deep down inside. It's all forgiven in Christ. So, what I want to end with is thinking about how do we respond to the calling of the Spirit? And, and what are we supposed to do with these words of Jesus in Matthew 12? What at all does it mean for us? Two things. If you're a note taker, you can write these down and I'll kind of elaborate on them. But number one, the sober challenge in this passage is that your words matter and they reveal something about you. And you will one day answer for them. And second, the good news is, as Jesus tells us, every sin is forgivable. The reason that most of us get uncomfortable thinking about that idea of standing before God and having our whole life laid out before him, every thought, word, deed, everything we've done and left undone, everything laid out before him, the reason that makes us a little bit uncomfortable is because we realize that there's a, a, sometimes a really big gap between what we know we ought to do and, and what we really do do. I know I shouldn't gossip, but I do. I know I shouldn't look at her that way, but I do. I know I should be a good neighbor, but I'm just really busy. I, I know that I should be growing my faith. I know I should be serving. I know I should be doing X, Y, Z. But every single one of us have that experience. And it's not hard for me to think of examples because I experience that gap just like every single one of us. It's not as if I get the microphone and so I get to point out everyone else's flaws. This is a challenging text for me because I know that there are words that, are come, that come out of my mouth that reveals something about me deep down. And I know even more often that there's thoughts that pop up in my, pop up in my head that don't come out of my mouth because my filter catches them. But those things too reveal something about me deep down. And, and I have to ask myself, what am I doing about that? Ulysses Martinez, who's a Puerto Rican theologian, he points this out about human beings. Human beings, due to their fallen nature, create cultures of violence, impoverishment, and dehumanization. And Ulysses is right. Not only does that happen through our actions and through the institutions that we build and through the systems that we are actively a part of, but we actually, oftentimes, we perpetuate that stuff through our words, which actually reflects something about our internal disposition. An example that I think uh, we can all understand its racial slurs. So certain words, they actually perpetuate that violence, that impoverishment, the dehumanization. And, and those, those racial slurs, they're, they're maybe just words. But what they do is they perpetuate Violence. They, they set up one group of people against in an adversarial relationship with another group. And, and they're dehumanizing because you don't refer to that group of people as people. You refer to them as fill in the blank. I, I think that's an example we can all understand as how our words actually perpetuate sometimes the sin and sin in the world. 
I, I can think of myself as a past example. And I really hesitated using this as an example, but um, it's actually pretty shameful that I used to say this. Uh, but I've heard it, and I've heard it around, around peers. Using the phrase, oh, that's retarded. Saying that is perpetuating a system of dehumanization. It's using a term for people with disabilities and then using it as a slang term and replacing it for something I don't like. And hopefully you can see just how dehumanizing that really is. Because what it does is it perpetuates a culture where people with disabilities are viewed as and treated as less than. Another one. Often, when we refer to other groups of people in which we don't find ourselves a part of that group, we will often refer to them as them or those people. And sometimes, due to the way that the English language works, that's unavoidable. And I get that. But what we need to do is be thoughtful about the words that we use and particularly when we speak about other people. I hear this because I live in this neighborhood. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, people ask me where I live. We own a house here. And I say, we live in West Central. And they go, where is that? And I say, oh, you know, it's like north of the river and, you know, west of, of Maple. And like, what, are you, what are you talking about? Oh, like felony flats? I, I, I stopped counting. I stopped counting how many times that was said. Do you refer to all those poor people as if they're all in a group of people who are different than you? Of people, I'm, I'm different, but those people. Do you refer to all those people who live in felony flats? You see how it actually separates you from that group. I'm inherently different. I'm not like them. And what we can do, whether by saying these things out loud or as I've mentioned, just thinking them, is we can perpetuate these systems in our culture that actually set human beings in opposition to one another, which is the exact opposite of the way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom, which reconciles wealthy and poor, black and white men and women. The gospel of Jesus reconciles people together. So what are you saying, Matt? Matt, are you saying we just need to be really politically correct about how we talk? Please do not take that as my point. That's not my point. My point is that we need to be thoughtful about the words that come out of our mouth and thoughtful about what they do and thoughtful about what those words, or maybe if we catch them in our filter, what those thoughts reveal about us deep down. That's my point. Be thoughtful about the things that come out of your mouth. Man, if I could have any superpower in the world, it would just be able to follow the scriptural command, which is be slow to speak and quick to listen. If I could have a superpower, that would be it. Coming away from today, what I want us to seriously consider is the words that come out of our mouth. How do we see? How do we speak? What does it say about us? What does it do? What do our words do? And second, 
particularly if you're in the least bit convicted about how you speak and that gap between how you speak and what you realize about yourself. Well, that leads me to the second takeaway this morning, which is, like I said, the good news of Jesus, which is that every sin is forgivable. Every sin is forgivable. Every sin is forgivable. The Apostle John, in his first letter, has what what seems to be the, the best, most concise statement about what we, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to do with our personal sin. I'll read from 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here it is. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we, as followers of Jesus, we're called to walk in the light. And in those moments where we realize the light's here and I'm walking over here, well, we adjust course. That's, that's repentance. Changing direction, changing our thinking, that's repentance. And we confess. But let me ask you an honest question, because this is not a habit that I'm very good at. When was the last time that you did that? When was the last time that you legitimately confessed your sins? John tells us that if we confess our sins, God will cleanse us or God will purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes, you read it. All unrighteousness. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know I need cleansing. I need purifying. Sometimes it has to do with my words. What I say to Jenna in a moment of frustration. Jenna's my wife's name, for those of you who don't know that. Or, or it has to do with that fleeting thought when I look at someone who's very different than me. I realize those things and then I realize, dang. Those thoughts or those words, they reveal something and I need cleansing, I need purifying. There's, there's stuff deep down in here that pops up from time to time, patterns of living and thinking that are antithetical to Jesus And they come out, and I need forgiveness, and I need cleansing. And so the invitation this morning is simple, because God forgives. So confess your sins. James' letter in chapter 5 even tells us to confess our sins one to another. When was the last time you did that? Homework this week. Didn't think you were going to get homework at church. Try it one time. I am trying to make a better habit of doing this. I'm not there yet. So what I'd like to encourage you to do this week is to try that one time. And there's even an opportunity this morning to confess directly to God. Because as we turn to the tables this morning, we are reminded that we are coming to a forgiving God. 
that, that we come to the table as people who have been justified. We come to a God who's not only willing to forgive us, but to do the work on our behalf. That's what the table reminds us of this morning. Every sin and slander is forgivable, Jesus says. All it takes is response to God. To receive the forgiving work of God in and through Jesus. Decent, if you'd put up that, that Romans 4 passage just one more time. As we come to the tables this morning, I'll invite uh, Annie and Libby to come back up. Because what I want us to do as we come to the tables is, is deal with some of that stuff. As you come to the table this morning, this is the truth. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. That is the table. That is Jesus' death on the cross that we remember when we come to the table. And Paul reminds us that every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That every time that we participate in this stuff, there's actually something much bigger than just just eating gluten-free crackers and dipping it in grape juice. There's something much bigger than that going on. And so my invitation to you this morning, as you come to the table, realize you're coming to a forgiving God. And then the next week, or this morning, I invite you to confess, whether it be directly to God or to a friend. Man, I know one of the the healthiest things is to, to not only then confess to a friend, but to have that friend remind you of the forgiveness. Because what inevitably what ends up happening when we think about some of these things, that for some of us who are prone to a lot of negative self-talk, some of us will walk out the doors and, and either it's negative self-talk or, or the enemy will get a hold of it. And we'll say, yeah, you're right. You're a terrible person. And that voice, whether it be your own voice or something else out there, will just, just weigh down on you. And, and you'll feel condemned. That, that is an experience that many of us have had. That's not from God. That is absolutely not from God. What we're reminded this morning in 1 John is that if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And before you come forward this morning, just, just make sure that you're in a place to receive from the forgiving God this morning. Whether it be prayer for confession or prayer for thanksgiving of what he has forgiven you of, if you've dealt with it before coming in here this morning. But what we don't want is, is to just hear these things, and well, ah, you know, that's challenging, and then, and then, well, that's okay. We want to actually deal with it this morning. So if you'd pray with me. God, we come to you knowing that you love us, that you're compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That is what you reveal to us. That is your name. So as we come to the table this morning, God, help us. Help us to even have the courage and grace 
to even respond to you and ask and confess. And God, we believe you. We trust you that you will cleanse us. You will purify us. That we don't have to walk out of here with any sort of, of guilt or shame. But forgiven. God, as we come to the table this morning, remind us of your forgiveness.